you're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. Let's take a look at some top news stories from this week. Donald Trump said he was going to ban TikTok. Now, I understand why people might react positively to this. TikTok was caught copying people's clipboards and sending the data to their servers. They're affiliated with China. There's speculation about whether or not they're sending data to the Chinese government. I've wondered that myself, but the Reddit app got caught copying clipboards, too. And the LinkedIn app. This isn't just a TikTok problem. Lots of apps are taking data they shouldn't have. FYI, this is why you need to set up two-factor authentication on everything, seriously. Go do it right now. Verify with the Authenticator app or email or SMS or whatever. The majority of the people listening right now have had their passwords leaked to somebody who shouldn't have it and don't even know it. Go set up two-factor authentication immediately. But either way, it seems to me like the answer isn't banning a massive app with almost a billion monthly users. The answer is regulation. TikTok absolutely is not the only security risk. Limit what data an app is allowed to take from users. Don't ban an app that has three times more active users than Twitter. But that's a consistent problem with the leadership of the Republican Party. They pretend to be pro-freedom, but this is the very definition of anti-freedom executive orders. They're limiting what we're allowed to do as a free society. But it isn't regulation, so I guess it doesn't count. Shincheon Ji, a very prominent Christian cult in South Korea, is responsible for most of the coronavirus cases in the country. They actively spread it further as a result of their religious beliefs. But they slowly started to realize how important it is that they try to stop the spread and fully cooperate with law enforcement. But it was too late. They'd already spread the virus far and wide by the time they started cooperating. They made a show of publicly working with contact tracers. But there's been an update. The leader was just arrested by South Korean authorities. Rightfully so, in my opinion. The leader, Lee Man-hee, claims to be Jesus reincarnate, the second coming. Shin Chon-ji means new heaven and earth. The cult consists of 230,000 members. For context, Scientology is estimated to have around 40,000 members. Jehovah's Witnesses have around 8.5 million, and Mormonism has about 14 million. Obviously, it's hard to know if those numbers are accurate because of the way the individual churches count their memberships, but you can't expect honesty from cults anyways. And some cults don't even report their numbers, like Scientology, so some of it is guesswork, but it's the best information we have right now. Republican State Representative Jonathan Strickland tweeted something interesting the other day. Quote, If aliens are real, salvation through Jesus Christ is the only way they enter heaven. This isn't the first strange thing that this dude said. Last year, he got lots of public attention for saying vaccines are sorcery. But this does make you wonder something. If we found aliens, would they have a copy of the Bible? Would it be exactly the same as our Bible, word for word? If it's an omnipotent, omniscient, eternal, universal God, then you have to assume they would, right? And if they didn't, it would raise some serious questions about the truth value of the Bible. It's like asking, did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? When you expand on the lore of the Bible, it gets more and more absurd. But he announced last year that he wouldn't be running for re-election this November anyways. People who are so completely anti-science shouldn't be in government. But the more I watch politics, the more I find the government is filled with people like this. Paula White, 
Trump's spiritual advisor, yes he has one of those, is a complete nutcase. Actually, most presidents have spiritual advisors. They usually help the president craft policy that would be beneficial to the evangelical voting bloc and help with outreach to attract new voters. Well, the spiritual arm of his campaign had a campaign event recently in Georgia, and Paula White had some interesting stuff to say. She said, quote, They want to take our churches. They want to take our freedoms. They want to take our liberties. They want to take everything. She also described Biden as a Trojan horse for a very radical left agenda that is behind him and that wants to take down our churches. She said this radical left agenda would take God out of everything. Honestly, I couldn't possibly care less about your churches or how much you care about God. In fact, that's the problem. I don't give a shit about how much you love God. I would greatly appreciate it if you stopped trying to cram it down my throat. You leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. Every time I see you shoving your stupid bullshit into my kid's classroom or into politics, I'm going to do my best to stop it. That's just what it is. This week on the podcast, Biden's current top VP pick, Karen Bass, is apparently involved in Scientology to some degree. In 2010, she gave a speech at a Scientology ribbon-cutting event, and it wasn't great. So what's the deal? Is she a Scientologist or what? Is she supportive? Is she even being considered in the first place? Because Scientology pulled some strings to get her to the top of the running. Scientology has been known to do that kind of thing. They have a lot of important people in and around the White House. I don't think her speech at the ribbon cutting event is terribly significant. We're going to listen to the speech and you guys can judge for yourselves. Jehovah's Witnesses are holding their yearly convention online this year, which is a pretty big deal. Apparently, it's the first time in 41 years. Their religion has gone through lots of changes over the decades, but conventions are a staple of the belief system. In fact, it's the only time Jehovah's Witnesses do baptisms. And as we learned recently, they came out and said that you have to be baptized to make it through Armageddon. So delaying baptisms isn't really an option for them. How are they going to handle it? And for that matter, what's the online convention about? We're going to take a look at the schedule and see what they plan to talk about. Pastor Robert Jeffress went on Fox Business Network recently to talk about the evangelical voting bloc. He says any evangelicals who vote Biden have sold their soul to the devil. He says he's 100% sure Biden won't win the evangelical vote. And I'm sure he's right. He probably won't get the evangelical vote. I never expected him to. But the fact that he's trying to scare evangelicals into voting for Trump by saying that kind of thing tells me he's worried Trump might lose and he's doing everything he can to help him. Unfortunately for him, that's illegal. Separation of church and state means a pastor can't bring politics directly into the church or endorse specific candidates or a number of other things, or they risk losing their nonprofit status, which means they'd have to start paying taxes. Well, the Freedom From Religion Foundation caught wind of Jeffress's efforts to promote Trump and decided to do something about it. We're going to listen to Robert Jeffress flounder for about two minutes straight. But before we take a look at all that, let's listen to some voicemails. Don't forget, if you want to call in and leave a voicemail, the number is 1-800-701-8573. Hey, this is Owen. If you're comfortable, leave your first name and state at the sound of the tiny truck backing up. Hey, Telltale, this is Daniel from Florida. I was wondering what your thoughts were on, you know, the stories of, like, demonic possession and, like, the anecdotes that go along with them. Uh, I've heard a lot of them from family members who are really adamant about those kind of things. I'm usually skeptical, but sometimes they seem kind of, you know, interesting to believe. Uh, I was wondering what your thoughts were on that. Thanks. Really interesting question. 
So what are what's with all the stories about demonic possession? Do I buy it or did I ever buy it or what's the deal? Let me tell you guys a little story. This is story time. When I was younger, my mom told me about my dad basically practicing black magic. And she would tell me these little stories secretly, like she'd whisper them to me, like proof that it's true. She would tell me about him basically holding his hands up like this and saying that like a Jacob's ladder shot between his arms, like electricity basically shot between his arms. And it was black magic. It was Satan. Satan did it. She told me other stories too, like, um, well, he told me this story. So in their old apartment, they had a set of wooden stairs, right? And at the bottom of the stairs was a couch. The top of the stairs was the bedroom. And my dad was laying in bed asleep. And my mom was on the couch at the bottom of the wooden stairs reading a book or something like that. And my dad tells me he wakes up to see a face floating in front of him, laughing, laughing, and he couldn't move. There's nothing he could do, and he finally just barely inched his hand over hard enough to, like, knock a Zippo lighter down the stairs. This is before they're Jehovah's Witnesses, obviously. And the Zippo lighter clatters down the stairs, and suddenly he could move again. But my mom didn't hear it. Satan blocked her from hearing it. They used to tell me these types of stories all the time. And I was convinced that I had a few of these stories of my own. It's just nonsense. There's an explanation for my dad's Satan story. It was almost certainly sleep paralysis. I had sleep paralysis for years where I would wake up and you've just got this like this fear in the back of your mind. Like, oh my God, something is wrong. Some, somebody's in the house or something's out to get me or whatever. And you're paralyzed. You can't move because your body is releasing the chemical that prevents you from moving while you're asleep, basically. It's a known phenomenon. It's honestly surprising to me that they went straight to demons rather than sleep paralysis, the logical explanation. I find that there are either logical explanations for all of these things that all of these stories of people tell you, or they just straight up didn't happen. It was like a one-upsmanship contest and they just wanted to tell a crazier story or whatever. I'm not closed off to the possibility that some of these stories people tell uh, may have really happened the way that they did and it really was Satan. I understand that's a possibility. It's a, an extremely slim possibility. But before I accept anything like that, I'm going to need evidence. I'm going to need some kind of anything. Just show me anything that I can go off of and I'll accept it. To date, there are no verified records of miracles or demonic possessions or anything like that that are actually credible. Hi, Owen. It's James from Canada. Uh, my ex and I have two kids, age 7 and 10. I'm an atheist, and my uh, my ex is basically not, like religion isn't uh, something she thinks about. And I just have really realized recently, like, my kids know nothing about religion, and uh, it's come up recently, uh, especially uh, Christian themes around us, uh, things like Easter. They really didn't understand, you know, the significance of the cross or any of the story. Uh, you know, and as an atheist, I don't want to point them towards religion per se, but I also want them to be able to think for themselves and be open-minded and know what's going on around them. And I was just wanting your opinion, like, 
what should I be uh, teaching my kids or informing them on in, in regards to these issues? Uh, thanks, and I love your podcast. As far as I see it, you basically have two options. Option A, you can tell them absolutely nothing about it, which is what I wanted to do for a long time. I would rather just keep her away from it. Like, who fucking cares? It's completely irrelevant. Seriously, all of this information is basically completely irrelevant. Or option B, which is the option I ended up having to take eventually, is... I talked to my daughter about it in a more clinical, scientific way. And I I didn't just talk about Christianity. I talked about Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism and a bunch of different world religions. And I ended up doing that in the first place because I had to. My mother was trying to brainwash my kid, like... She's trying to convince her that she was right, that Jehovah's Witnesses were right. I had no choice but to basically steel man the position and explain why it's wrong. That's what I had to do, pretty much. And you'll find that there are most likely people in your life, I'm guessing, who are religious and who want to make sure that your kid is also religious, save their soul or whatever else. I mean, I don't know your situation you're an atheist, but I, I have to imagine like your family members are not atheists. I don't know. Anyway, the point is learning about the history of it and why it's so absurd could be of value to the kid at some point. And I actually sent my daughter to a normal, run-of-the-mill, chill church that's not a cult because I wanted her in the process of giving her the education about church and religion and all that, I wanted her to have a good grip on the culture that we live in. Because Jehovah's Witnesses completely separate themselves from religious culture, like completely. You're not allowed to go to worldly funerals, for example. You're not allowed to go to any any worldly church, basically. You're not allowed to go to the church for worship of a non-Jehovah's Witness denomination. And you would honestly be surprised how much you miss out on being left out of that whole part of the culture. Like, I, I don't even know how a funeral procession is supposed to take place. I don't know what a wake is like. I don't know what a normal wedding is like. I only know the Jehovah's Witness versions of these things. Like stuff that you would never think are so heavily ingrained in society and so heavily ingrained in religion. So I don't know. Personally, it I think it may be of value to maybe explain some of this stuff at the very least. And uh, just from like an educational kind of clinical perspective, just so they have an idea of like, you know, what their friends are talking about when they bring up going to church or whatever else. But uh, it's entirely up to you. Hi, Owen. This is Sam. As a young, college-educated, career-driven woman who does not want children or a traditional family, how would a group like Jehovah's Witness try to get me to join their religion? I know they're against college education and expect women to raise children and be traditional wives, so what tactics would they use to try to convince me to give up the lifestyle I'm currently living to join their religion? I know in general, 
most religions are patriarchal misogynistic. So in general, what kind of tactics do they use to appeal to women who they know will be oppressed once they join the religion? Thank you so much. Bye. Very interesting question. I'll tell you what they would probably do. They would probably, uh, after learning that about you, they would find some aspect of your life that they feel would be enhanced by being a part of the religion. Or they'd find some aspect of your life that they could respect. Like, for example, do you like to paint? They would talk about how God created us to love the things around us, love the landscapes and love the beautiful parts of nature. And you painting is a reflection of that love. So they would pick something out that they know would appeal to you and they would ride that home until you became so engrossed in the religion that you were willing to give up one thing here or there. They would kind of slowly work it in. Inch by inch, they would kind of say, well, you know, Jehovah really loves a wife who respects her husband. And if you, if that left a bad taste in your mouth, they'd say, well, Jehovah wants the husband to love the wife too. It's a mutual respect. It's equality. You're equals. In reality, um, they'll, they will say that they're equals, but men have roles and women have roles in the religion. They will come at it from a perspective that they think will appeal to you, and then they'll slip the rest in under the radar. Hi, oh, and um, I think you got something wrong uh, with the, your video on the Baha'i. Um, they started in Persia around the same time as the Millerites, but they are definitely not connected to the Millerites. Um, and that movement, or the Jehovah's Witnesses. I can't find anything on that connection, but I can find them starting in Persia and in the 1800s. All right, bye. I appreciate that, that phone call. I've actually had a few people call in and tell me that my information on the Baha'i may be inaccurate um, or incomplete, so I looked into it a little bit more. Just to catch everybody up real fast, in a recent video I said that um, in 1843, I talked about the history of the Millerite movement, uh, the Christian Millerite movement, where the Millerite movement claimed that the end was here in like 1943, and it didn't come. And they had made multiple predictions leading up to that. And when it didn't come, it led to what's called the Great Disappointment. People had sold their property, sold everything and given all the money to the church and prepared for the rapture. And it didn't happen, and it was a huge disappointment, and it led to a massive split in the church. You got, like, three major factions. The first major faction believed something did happen in, in like, 1843 or 1844. We just didn't see it. It's this whole idea that Jesus came back invisibly. The second faction was... The Bible math was just wrong. The years they're using, the, the numbers they're using to calculate this is complete BS. And we shouldn't have any, we shouldn't take stock in this Bible math. It's ridiculous. And the third faction believed that the Bible math was correct, but they had the numbers wrong. They had like the starting date wrong, pretty much. Jehovah's Witnesses were in that faction. Uh, Charles Taze Russell 
eventually went on to calculate that it was like 1874 or some other thing like that. I don't remember. Then went on when that nothing happened, then went on to calculate it was like 1879 and just like a billion predictions all the way up to 1913. Nothing happened in 1913. Nothing happened in 1914 after that failed prediction. So he said, okay, all right, we're going to stop predicting and just say Jesus came back invisibly in 1914. Just like the Millerites, some of the Millerites said back in 1844. I, so I explained that whole timeline in another video recently, and I said that the Baha'i are mixed in there somewhere. I know that they weren't related to Jehovah's Witnesses in any way. I know they're not related to Mormons in any way or anything like that. But let me just read a, a blurb from a forum that I pulled up. I researched this heavily, but it's been years since I've researched it, and I need to look into it more. And it's very possible my information on this is incorrect. And if it's incorrect, then I want to get it right. So I'm not going to bring this up again, this information about the Baha'i, until I do proper research on it. But originally, I did look in various sources to find this information. And that's what this forum post is based on. So let me just read the post and see what it says here. And regarding William Miller, this is the part I really wanted to get to. William Miller was the founder of the Millerite movement, of course. William Miller, an important figure in the early 19th century, had a large following of churches in the east coast of the United States and Britain, used the book of Daniel to predict the second coming, just like Jehovah's Witnesses, same Bible math, and said it would be between March 21st, 1843 and March 21st, 1844. After Christ did not return earlier in the year of 1844, William Miller made a revised prediction for October 22, 1844, as the return of Christ, and it is known as the Great Disappointment. Many Christians sold their property and possessions, quit their jobs, and prepared themselves for the second coming. It was believed that nothing happened. The day came and went without incident. Actually, 1844 is still called the year of the Great Disappointment by Adventists, because Jesus did not descend through the physical clouds as they anticipated. But in Baha'i belief, something did happen. We believe the prophecies were fulfilled by the declaration of the Bab on May 23, 1844, that he was the promised one, the Kaim and Mahdi, which was about the time anticipated earlier in 1844. And actually, October 1844 was a revised prediction accepted by Miller, was also when the Bab declared who he was while on pilgrimage to Mecca. He declared himself openly to those circumambulating the Kaaba, and he also addressed the custodian of Mecca at the time on October 23, 1844. I feel like I mispronounced a lot of words in there, and there may have been some grammatical errors, but you guys get the, the drift. There is also an early account by Major Henry Rawlinson, quote, the first known account of any of the events relating to Babi and Baha'i history was the report sent by the British consul in Baghdad, Major Henry Rawlinson, to the British Foreign Office relating to the arrest and imprisonment of Mullah Ali Bastami in early 1845. The first published account was that of proclamation by the Bab of his mission in Mecca and the arrest and punishment of four of the Bab's disciples 
in Shiraz and the arrest of the Bab. This account appeared in the Times of London on November 1st, 1845. Source, Encyclopedia article, Early Western Accounts of the Baha'i Faith. So in our view, something happened. And for us, at any rate, it was not a year of the Great Disappointment, but the beginning of the Baha'i era. This is on Baha'iforums.com. I will leave a link in the description if you want to look into it a little bit more. I don't want to be incorrect. I don't want to be incorrect on things. So I appreciate you calling in and and leaving a voicemail about it. If I am incorrect about something, I want to fix it. So um, I'll just leave that there. I'll leave this segment as is. If there's something more that you have to add to the conversation, leave it in a comment on the clip on the YouTube channel. I will watch for it and I will pin it to the top and we can talk about it a little bit more in the comments. Thank you for the, for the voicemail. I really appreciate that. And hopefully we can get it resolved and figured out. And I, and I do need to do a lot more research on this subject before I talk about it anymore because I, I just don't know enough about it to really speak about the Baha'i faith. Let's read some super chats. Lloydy, 666. I'm not sure what that currency is. I think maybe yen? Thank you very much for that donation. I appreciate that. As an XJW myself, I love your videos. Have some godless money. Thank you so much. I absolutely love it when ex-Jehovah's Witnesses come in and watch my stuff. It's the shit. I benefit from you guys coming in and having the discussion about this stuff. So thank you again for coming in and, and talking to me about it. Zolfner, Pelosi is bad. Um, I agree Pelosi can be toxic in some ways, but Trump is a fucking train wreck. The most authoritarian, fascist, wannabe dictator that I I have ever seen as a president. I don't know of a more fascistic, authoritarian president that the U.S. has had. Who knows? Maybe they're out there. I would literally vote for a bag of potatoes before I voted for Trump. And you said that you're voting for Biden, so I don't want to hear any of this Trump 2020 stuff. You said you were voting for Biden. I'm, I'm holding you to it. Uh, let's see, Zolfner. I was told to say Trump 2020. Yeah, okay. Well, Biden 2020. Zolfner, super chat blocks everything rude I want to say. Yeah, damn super chat. Riley Masons. Since we're still in 2020, I think, what's your prediction for August apocalypse event? We've had a war, plague, fires, civil rights. What's next? Honestly, my suspicion is it's the, all those things are just going to go in circles. We're going to start back over at war and then plague and then fires and then civil rights. That's my suspicion. It's got to get better in 2021, right? It, it, it could not get worse at this point. Well, I better not say that. It certainly could. Anyway, thank you for the uh, super chat. I, I appreciate that. When we come back, we're going to be talking about Biden's possible VP pick, Karen Bass, and her affiliation with the Church of Scientology. So give us 30 seconds and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. So the next article I want to take a look at is entitled Representative Karen Bass Praised the Church of Scientology in 2010. It's not a big deal. This is by Hemant Mehta on the Friendly Atheist blog. So let's give it a read and see what it has to say. 
The right-wing website Daily Caller posted a video yesterday of Representative Karen Bass, reportedly on Joe Biden's shortlist to be his running mate, praising the Church of Scientology when it opened an ideal org center in Los Angeles in 2010. At the time, she was a member of the California State Assembly. Let's watch the video and see what she said here. One more quick thing. They played music over it, probably to prevent people from criticizing it. So for copyright reasons, I'm just going to read the subtitles for you. As both a leader in our state legislature and a representative of Los Angeles, my goal has been a simple one, to actually make a difference. So that's why I first have to say that this day and this new Church of Scientology is an exciting moment, because I know your goal and your commitment is to truly make a difference. It's my belief that if we really want to change this world, it's important that we think about how we treat each other. We have to treat all people with the respect they're due as human beings, and we must fight against oppression wherever we may find it. That's why the words are exciting of your founder, L. Ron Hubbard, in the creed of the Church of Scientology, that all people of whatever race color, or creed are created with equal rights. It's a remarkable credit to your church that this is part of your creed. The Church of Scientology I know has made a difference because your creed is a universal creed and one that speaks to all people everywhere. I look forward to helping you bring about the difference for everyone in this city, this golden state of California, and from here the nation, and from the nation the world. Thank you very much. Okay, they, they go on to cut the ribbon. David, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, David Miscavige and everything is there. Like, all of the big people are all there. And there's a lot of concern over this video because she's obviously involved in Scientology to some extent. And Scientology is an extremely disturbing, harmful group. Like, straight up harmful. But something to notice is she used the words you, your religion, not our religion, our belief system. She said your beliefs, your creeds, your founders, things like that. So I don't think that she was, she wasn't really saying that she was a member of the church. She was basically just attending an event in a district that she services so i can kind of see where she's coming from like she's come out and tried to defend her decision to do this and everything recently honestly i would really rather not have her as the vp having ties to scientology the way she does but like i said recently i would pretty much vote for a bag of potatoes over trump at this point because Trump is so fascistic and authoritarian and is leading the country in a very disturbing direction right now. That's basically what it comes down to. A bag of potatoes can't be fascist. That's what I'm most worried about. Anyway, let's continue reading the article and see what else uh, Hemant Mehta had to say about it. In that video, Bass says of the church, I know your goal and your commitment is truly to make a difference. She also praised founder L. Ron Hubbard for the church's creed, saying that all people of whatever race, color, or creed are created with equal, equal rights. Scientology's president, David Miscavige, whose own troubling history has been the source of much reporting, was also on stage. If you're cynical like me, then you know this is nothing more than a conservative media outlet's attempt to discredit a potential VP selection. 
but it's also not doctored footage or anything, so fair game. The best case scenario here is that Bass was asked to speak at the opening of a religious venue in her community, one whose members include some rich and powerful people who may well become donors, and she knew next to nothing about Scientology, so she praised them for their public statements and alleged mission, fully ignorant of the deep, dark, disturbing, and dangerous nature of the cult. It's not like she would have been alone. There were other politicians on stage that day, and the New Yorker's Lawrence Wright didn't expose the church until 2011, nearly a year after this event. That's not to say the disturbing aspects of Scientology were a secret or anything, but someone who wasn't paying attention might not have been familiar with the more frightening stories. I don't know about that. Um, Scientology at this point was known, I believe, to have perpetrated the largest what was it um i think it was called operation clambake or something where they raided government headquarters and destroyed documents about scientology and this happened like a decade or more before she went on stage and gave that speech so i don't know uh it was it was well known at the time everybody was well aware of scientology and how disturbing and dark this whole thing is i can't forgive her for that but i i i have to say it does just seem like an effort to speak to constituents and get more donors um i would expect that of basically any politician pretty much any politician at all let's continue reading based on her remarks which are superficial at best that seems to be the case here. She just didn't know what she was getting into. She gave positive remarks at a ribbon-cutting ceremony. She offered lip service to a group she knew very little about. That's not weird. I've seen politicians give remarks at a Jain temple. It's always obvious their knowledge of the religion consists of whatever's in the first couple of sentences on Wikipedia and nothing more. But hey, it's an easy way to pander. In 2012, Bass commended the church for its work on human rights, quote-unquote, laughable to those familiar with Scientology, but so did Senator Harry Reid. She did the same in 2013, but again, so did several politicians. All of this suggests she just didn't know much about the church. The flip side of that is, how do you not know about Scientology? It's not like it wasn't messed up before 2010. They opposed psychiatry and psychiatric drugs. They brainwashed people. Has anyone seen Shelley Miscavige lately? But it's easy for people familiar with Scientology to say that. Remember that most people don't have the church on their radar at all. Just a quick little thing on Shelley Miscavige. Um, that is David Miscavige's wife. I don't really know the situation terribly well, but there were a lot of questions asked when Shelley Miscavige just disappeared off the face of the earth. Nobody had seen her. Nobody had heard from her. Nothing. She's just gone all of a sudden. And she was like a public figure. She was the leader's wife. She was the leader's wife. And she just disappeared. Like her friends, her close friends, stopped hearing from her. And Leah Remini, actually the actress, started asking that question. What happened to Shelley Miscavige? Where is she? Eventually, from what I understand, they did investigate they sent police around to like ask questions and i guess the police came back and said we talked to her she's fine but you would be honestly surprised how much power scientology has they have actors and actresses with pull that you would not believe and money 
amounts of money that you would not believe. They are everywhere. They're in the White House and around the White House and everything. Scientology is. So I wouldn't be surprised at all to learn that the detectives were lying and protecting David Miscavige. That truly would not surprise me, like even a little bit. So anyways, how do I feel about Karen Bass giving this speech? It was a stupid decision for her to do something like this for a group that she knows nearly nothing about because this group is a disastrous, dangerous train wreck who hurts and destroys anything and anybody who they perceive to oppose them. So she shouldn't have done this, but I would vote for a bag of potatoes before I voted for Donald Trump right now based on the fact that he is as authoritarian and fascist as he is. So I'd still vote for Biden if she was the uh, nominee. I just hope she's not going to be. When we come back, we're going to talk about Jehovah's Witnesses holding their annual convention virtually instead of in person, what the convention's going to be about, and how they're doing baptisms since they aren't meeting in person. So give us 30 seconds and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. So the next article I wanted to take a look at is entitled Local Jehovah's Witnesses Holding On Despite Being Unable to Hold In-Person Baptisms. This is on, it's newsforsanantonio.com, basically. Um, It's a local news network, so let's read it and see what it has to say here. San Antonio. As the COVID-19 pandemic continues to impact our local Jehovah's Witnesses, they're still making the most with what they have. For the third week in a row, San Antonio Jehovah's Witnesses held their online convention. And while they were looking forward to holding baptisms in person, the pandemic has ruined that. Quote, For over 100 years, baptisms have been a hallmark of our conventions, James Giannopoulos a local spokesman for Jehovah's Witnesses said, we're used to seeing hundreds of thousands being baptized each year in public venues around the globe. Knowing circumstances are very different right now, we have added reason to rejoice with all those being baptized during these unprecedented times. Still religious observers like Jennifer Hernandez says the pandemic has not deterred her from holding on to her faith and is still grateful to participate in the festivities and practice their faith. This is a quote. When I learned that our convention would be available to stream online and that baptisms would also be taking place, I thanked Jehovah that my goal to get baptized was still possible, she said. What a blessing it is to have been given the opportunity to get baptized despite the current world conditions. So this is an extremely interesting situation to me because Jehovah's Witnesses have to be baptized and active to make it through Armageddon. If Armageddon happens and they aren't baptized, they had to put the baptisms off, that's it. They die. They don't make it to Armageddon, according to the governing body. Recently, they said that. They reaffirmed that. I mean, they've been saying that for a while, but they reaffirmed it recently publicly. 
So I was really wondering what they were doing about baptisms. I figure if this goes on for long enough, what's going to happen is they're going to start holding baptisms in the kingdom halls directly, or they'll have some Jehovah's Witnesses go around to people's houses, just like a couple of elders, like three elders or something, go to people's houses, blow up a little blow-up swimming pool, and dunk them in. I'd be willing to bet that's what they're going to do if this goes on for long enough. But with all that being said, I figured we'd take a look at their virtual convention. Finding out that they're holding it online was kind of interesting to me. So I figured we'd just take a quick gander at their their convention schedule and see what's happening. The title of this one, of this convention, is Always Rejoice, quote-unquote. So this is from the JW.org website. It says, We warmly invite you to watch this year's three-day convention presented by Jehovah's Witnesses. As a result of the novel coronavirus pandemic, this year's convention program is being presented online at JW.org. Sessions will be posted incrementally in July and August. When I was younger, they had this setup where they'd have three conventions per year. The first convention was a one-day assembly. It was on Sundays, I believe. They'd hold a few baptisms, and it would be just like 10 congregations, basically. It's called the Special Day Assembly. The second convention they would do every year is called the Circuit Assembly. It would be two days. It'd be Saturday and Sunday. They'd hold a, they would hold baptisms, and they also had a drama on the second day. They've scrapped the drama since then. They don't do that anymore. I think they just show propaganda videos now. And then the third assembly was the district convention. And it was basically every Jehovah's Witness in the tri-state area, pretty much. It was Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. They would have baptisms. They'd have the drama and a whole bunch of other stuff. It was a really big deal. And it was actually kind of like a mini vacation for a lot of people because they work themselves to the bone. And in this case, you get to sometimes go to a hotel because you're kind of far away sometimes since it's a tri-state area that's going. And you go to the swimming pool after the convention and all kinds of stuff. It was kind of fun sometimes. Um, From my understanding, it has changed since then. This was when I was in the religion back in... 2010 or something like that when this was going on but they've changed how it operates now i think they do they may do three conventions per year still but i think that they're basically two two two-day assemblies and one three-day assembly or something like that you'll have to check the comments in the clip for more information on that but anyways this is basically the district convention that we're talking about here friday saturday and sunday So the Friday session, it says on the website, this is what it's all about. See how husbands, wives, parents, and children can find and promote joy in the family. Discover how the natural world and our ability to observe it reveal God's desire for us to be happy. I swear it just drips with cult indoctrination, the words do, right? Here's the Saturday session. Why do Jehovah's Witnesses share the Bible's joyful message around the globe? Through a series of talks, videos, and interviews, learn the scriptural basis for our preaching and teaching. And here's the Sunday session. The Bible promises that God's blessings make one rich, and he adds no pain with it. Hear the Bible-based talk, enjoy riches without pain. How? And consider reasons why you can trust that promise. 
And here's the Bible drama. Maybe they are still doing the drama. I don't know. But this is what it says about the Bible drama. How can you benefit from the courage and zeal of the Bible character Nehemiah? During the Saturday and Sunday sessions, watch the two-part Bible drama, The Joy of Jehovah is Your Stronghold, based on Nehemiah 8.10. Yeah, I guess they are still doing the drama. Uh, I, I'm unfamiliar with um, I'm unfamiliar with the structure now, but that's what we're looking at, and I can pretty much guarantee you that we're going to be debunking some of the stuff that they talk about in the uh, in the symposium, if you will. So let's read the super chats. Zolfner, just because I liked the guy doesn't mean Trump should not be president. No, he shouldn't be. He's a monster. Evan Inge, I can't post a meme in a super chat, but I couldn't resist making this meme. I added you on Twitter. You should pull it up. Okay. I actually did pull it up during the break. So would you vote for this sack of potatoes if they ran on fascist policies? Fascist potatoes. Absolutely not. Absolutely would not vote for a sack of potatoes if aforementioned sack of potatoes happened to be fascist. It just so happens that potatoes don't have feelings and are incapable of being fascist, luckily. Otherwise, we may be the property of potatoes, but we're not. So take that for what you will. Thank you for the super chat. I appreciate that. Norvardia, I'm only going to be able to watch every second Sunday. Nice try slipping Monday in there. Every second Sunday because I'm doing another stream. Sorry, TT, and happy Sunday. You keep trying to pull one over on me. That's okay. Uh, I appreciate you coming and, you know, super chatting and hanging out and talking. It's pretty cool to have you here. So um, hopefully I'll see you next, uh, the Sunday after next. Zolfner, Biden 2020. See, that's what I'm talking about right there. Biden 2020. Glad to see you promoting Biden. That's really good. Thank you for that super chat. Another super chat. Biden and Pelosi are fascists, but apparently you like them. Biden and Pelosi. I, I, I don't know about Pelosi. I don't give a shit about her. She's basically irrelevant right now. Biden is not as fascist as Trump is. That's what I care about. I'm sure he has some fascist tendencies. I don't know. Not anywhere near as heavy as Trump. I can tell you that because he was in the White House for a while, so... When we come back, we're going to talk about Pastor Robert Jeffress desperately trying to help Trump and risking tax-exempt status in the process. So give us 30 seconds, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. So the next article I wanted to take a look at is entitled Robert Jeffress, Evangelical Biden Voters Have Sold Their Soul to the Devil. This is by Hemant Mehta on the Friendly Atheist website. So let's give the article a read and see what it has to say. During an interview yesterday with Lou Dobbs on Fox Business Channel, MAGA cultist and Trump sycophant Pastor Robert Jeffress claimed that the only evangelicals who would vote for Joe Biden this November are the ones who have sold their souls to the devil which is one hell of a way to characterize the 88% of black Protestants and 17% of white evangelicals who said they intend to support Biden. 
Let's watch this video and see what the guy had to say for himself. Well, let me cut to the chase here, Lou. There's not a snowball's chance of, in hell's chance of uh, Joe Biden gaining any significant evangelical vote at all. And uh, the reason is this. The only evangelicals who are going to vote for Joe Biden are those who have sold their soul to the devil and accepted the Democrats' barbaric position on abortion. I mean, it's so barbaric what Joe Biden believes in unrestricted abortion, he can't even get his own church the Catholic Church to stomach it. They okay, let, let, let me just pause here and, and point out what he's doing here. He's starting out by trying to scare evangelicals by saying that they have sold their soul to the devil. You know, nobody wants to go to hell, right? You are hearing it directly from a pastor's mouth that you will be going to hell if you vote for Biden. So that's the first part of his fear-mongering campaign. He's giving you a reason to vote against Biden. If you vote for Biden, you're going to go to hell. That's the stick. And then he's giving you a reason to vote for Trump by talking about the whole abortion thing. That's the carrot. You will get something that you want if you vote for Trump. You're voting for the administration, not the person, basically, is what he's saying here. It's a very propagandistic way to go about coercing people into voting for Trump. He's trying to scare them into doing it and giving them a good reason to, in their mind, the abortion issue. Let's continue. Night in communion because of that. But let me focus on the positive, Lou. I mean, the last Pew poll showed that 82% of evangelicals are going to vote for President Trump on November 3rd. I think the number is going to be higher than that. And here's why. We know there's a whole group of evangelicals who didn't tell pollsters they were going to vote for him in 2016. They didn't want to be badgered or bullied. That's even more so this time. People are being told that if you support President Trump, you're a racist. Okay, now I just want to point out what he's doing in this portion. He is saying something, hoping that Trump is going to see it, and showing his support for Donald Trump, basically. He is doing this performative thing to try to show his support for the president and showing people that evangelicals are going to vote for Trump and it is going to be higher and you should be one of those people. That's kind of what he's doing here. Nobody wants to be called that, so they're not going to admit they're voting for President Trump on November 3rd. But I'm going to make this prediction on November. Yeah, and he's explaining why the polls were so low. He's saying that people are afraid to admit that they support Donald Trump, so on and so forth. He's trying to give Trump basically an out for why he's doing so poorly in the polls right now. Third, there is going to be a tsunami-sized surprise of voters turning out to support our great president, Donald Trump. The guy is a shill, and this isn't the first time we've talked about him, actually. This isn't the first time he's dipped his toes in politics. He's a pastor. He's not legally supposed to endorse one candidate over another. And that actually got him in some trouble recently. So there's more to this clip that we haven't gotten to see, but I actually clipped it out. So let's watch the next segment here.
The purpose of the Freedom From Religion Foundation, as stated in its bylaws, are to promote the constitutional principle of separation of state and church, and they've gone after you asking the IRS to revoke your 501c3 <laughs> status uh, for, uh, well, saying nice things about the President of the United States. <laughs> nope. Nope. That's not why. The reason why they've gone after him is because it's against the law for a pastor to endorse a presidential candidate. It's against the law for him to do this stuff. He's breaking the law. The consequence to that is losing tax-exempt status. Unfortunately, the IRS in the United States doesn't give a shit about the laws, so they don't enforce them sometimes. They enforce selectively. Let's continue. What do you, what do you make of this? That's right. I mean, Lou, it's absolutely ridiculous. And he's he's laughing because he knows that these laws aren't enforced, even though they're on the books. And it's a sign of a fascist regime that religion and politics are intertwined. That's why he's laughing at this. He knows that nothing is going to come of it. They are asking the IRS to revoke our tax-exempt status because when the vice president spoke at our church last month, I said some very nice things about our president, and I said, quote, there are millions of Christians who are hoping, Mr. Vice President, that when you have finished your term in 2024, that you move down the hall and continue to build on the legacy of the greatest and most faith-friendly president in history, Donald J. Trump. I'm sorry, most faith-friendly president in history? I don't know about that. There have been a lot of very religious presidents. I guess if we're talking on a policy basis, is Trump the most faith-friendly? Um, I don't know. I, this, is, this has an objective answer. I mean, we could look for an objective answer, like how many policies has Donald Trump endorsed for the religious right? versus how many did like George Bush endorse or Ronald Reagan or whoever else. I really think he's just buttering his bread. I think he's just buttering Trump's bread right now. Lou, if that ends, uh, lands me in prison, if that <laughs> revokes our tax-exempt status, so be it. Yeah, this whole persecution complex thing, once again, that you find with religious people, this is something that religious people, that religious extremists need they need to be persecuted to bring it back to their people to show, look at how persecuted we are. Turn themselves into martyrs. When you have a martyr, you have a movement, a successful movement in some cases. And when there's just, you know, nothing happening, when they're not being persecuted, they have to fabricate it because it mobilizes people. That's how it works. And that's what he's doing right now. He's turning himself into a martyr to mobilize his base, even though he's not a martyr. Like, just follow the law and keep politics out of your sermons. What's so hard about that? It is a sign of a fascist regime when politics and religion are inextricably linked, and that is what's happening right now. He is showing us how fascism is rising in the U.S. We are watching it happen in front of us live. Let's continue. 
uh, obviously yeah. it's not going well, to. The Freedom From Religion uh, Foundation tries to intimidate smaller churches by attacking us from speaking out on politics. This is a time for every mm -hmm. pastor to speak out. The future of our nation is at stake. I, I think I I think I'll start a foundation on, uh, we'll put it together, we'll call it a, a freedom from uh, atheistic uh, organizations who uh, want to uh, trample those uh, who don't have the resources to stand up to them in law. Hey, I've got good news for you. You want to start an organization, Freedom from Atheism? Guess what? Nobody's trying to shove that down your throat like you're trying to shove religion down our throats. So there's no need for that organization. There's no need for an organization to be free of atheism. You're just free of it naturally. Like you just don't have to be an atheist, period. You can be religious if you want, and nobody is going to fucking hassle you over it. Um, oh, that, that, that's probably have to the work Democrat on the title party. a bit, but you get the idea. <laughs> it's sorry, called Pastor. the Democrat Party, the atheist group who hate religion. <laughs> I thought the atheist group who hate religion that they were talking about in this clip was the FFRF. I think this guy, Robert Jeffress, just completely, just that joke went right over this guy's head. Like, he has no idea what's happening around him right now. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Look at this fucking shit-eating grin on this guy's face. What a douchebag, this God. I'm sorry. I get fired up sometimes. I get fired up sometimes at these people. It just, it, it, it drives me insane. Some of these people do. Anyway, <sighs> let's continue reading the article and see what it says. This is a quote from the video. There's not a snowball's chance in hell's chance, as he said earlier, of Joe Biden gaining any significant evangelical vote at all. And the reason is this, the only evangelicals who are going to vote for Joe Biden are those who have sold their soul to the devil and accepted the Democrats' barbaric position on abortion. This is Hemant Mehta speaking. That barbaric position, quote-unquote, by the way, is that women should control their own bodies instead of Republican lawmakers. Jeffress also responded to the Freedom From Religion Foundation's request to the IRS that his church have its tax-exempt status revoked after Jeffress promoted a possible Mike Pence presidency in 2024 with the vice president sitting in his audience. FFRF noted that nonprofits are not allowed to endorse candidates. Christian churches shouldn't be given a free pass on the rules. I agree. To that, Jeffress lied about FFRF's position in order to make himself look persecuted. This is a quote. And I said there are millions of Christians who are hoping, Mr. Vice President, that when you have when, that when you've finished your term in 2024, that you move down the hall and continue to build on the legacy of the greatest and most faith friendly president in history, Donald J. Trump. And Lou, if that lands me in prison, if that revokes our tax exempt status, so be it. But obviously it's not going to. The Freedom From Religion Foundation tries to intimidate smaller churches by attacking us from speaking out on politics. This is uh, back to Hemant Mehta. FFRF never said Jeffress should be in prison. He's just saying that because he's a Christian liar. FFRF also doesn't care if pastors speak out on politics, like discussing abortion or marriage equality. He's just saying that because he's a Christian liar. What nonprofits, including churches, can't do is endorse candidates, which is precisely what Jeffress did, even if it was a hypothetical future election. 
And about the FFRF intimidating smaller churches, well, we don't know the exact size and income of Jeffress First Baptist Church because churches don't have to report those numbers. Consider the size of the two groups' coronavirus bailout loans. FFRF received between 350000 to $1 million. First Baptist Church received between $2 million and $5 million. Jeffress is lying about FFRF going after smaller churches like his. He's lying about FFRF coming after him. He's lying about Jesus, too, but that's a different story. Naturally, Lou Dobbs didn't challenge him on any of this, because Dobbs isn't a journalist. He's just a mouthpiece for the GOP. Dobbs did, however, say that he would start his own organization, the Freedom From um, Atheistic uh, Organizations Who uh, Want to uh, Trample Those Who Don't Have the Resources to Stand Up to Them in Law. Not exactly a mic drop moment. Responded Jeffress, that's called the Democrat Party. <laughs> Something I want to make note of here, though, real fast. Hemant Mehta said... About the FFRF intimidating smaller churches. Well, we don't know the exact size and income of Jeffress First Baptist Church, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to say that what actually Jeffress is correct. Effectively, what's happening here is this organization, FFRF, is taking a stand against religious tyranny, trying to force them to follow the law and that has the effect of scaring smaller churches out of breaking the law because they know there's a watchdog there waiting on the sidelines for them to do it. Smaller churches will be less willing to break the law because they know somebody is watching and waiting. That is the value of having a watchdog organization around. That's why having FFRF is so valuable. That's why having American atheists is so valuable because these people have the resources and, and have lawyers on staff prepared to destroy somebody for breaking the law. And it makes the country a better place for it. Page, Marionette 2020. At least when their strings are pulled, it's fairly easy to find the hand doing it. That's a good point. I like that. Zolfner, anyone that supports BLM is racist. Like how I had to spell that? I belittles people of color as myself. That's weird. Um, no. Uh, anyone that supports Black Lives Matter as a, as a an organization um, is trying to better the world, I would venture to guess. I don't know their personal reasons for doing so. I know the organization has had some problematic ideas and opinions and takes. So if nothing else, at least try to support the movement, the Black Lives Matter movement. We're trying to make the world more fair. I guess that's the best way to say it. We're trying to make the world more fair for everybody. That's the whole idea behind it. And that is not a racist thing to do, to try to make the world more fair for everybody. Nervardia, how dare churches be held to the same laws as everyone else? Zilfner, BLM is oppressive and it puts back the work I have done as a colored person. You mean a person of color. We're getting into the euphemism treadmill here. Puts back, the, how, do, how could it possibly put the work back back that you have done as a person of color and how is it oppressive that's nonsensical i don't understand tell you what that's where i'm gonna end the podcast for the night appreciate you guys coming on and giving us a listen and i will talk to you next week 
If you like what I do and you want to make sure I can continue to do it, you can support me in a few ways. First, you can support me on Patreon. That's probably the best way. But if you want to get something back for your support, you can check out my Teespring. I sell all kinds of shirts and stickers and stuff on there. Second, you can support me by checking out my Etsy store. I sell 3D printed stands for every system from the original Nintendo to the Xbox One. And finally, if you want to support me in other ways, you can check me out on my other channels. I have the podcast channel, which is where I talk about whatever's on my mind. Politics, social issues, whatever. You can also find it everywhere podcasts can be found. Or you can check out the videos on my main channel where I focus on destructive cults. As it is with most channels these days, I rely on the support of viewers like you to keep my channel alive, so sharing my work is extremely helpful. Anyways, check me out in all those places if you haven't already. Thanks for listening, guys.